0: Hello, viewers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Uh, f- today we have very, very special guest, uh, Aman. Welcome to the show. I'm very, very happy to have you here today. How are you?
1: Thank you so much, Abdul. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm great. Thank you.
0: Amazing. Um, I think the last uh, the last film we worked on together was Maleficent, right? That's it. <laughs> yeah. Twenty thirteen. 2013. Yeah, twenty thirteen. You were lead lead of lighting back then.
1: Yes, lighting look dev lead.
0: Yeah. Uh, So here you go. What's the difference between (laughs) lighting? Yeah, straight straight away. (laughs) Straight away. Um, What's the difference between a lighter and a look dev artist?
1: So a look dev artist has to make sure that the the asset that they're working on can work under multiple lighting conditions, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know you can throw it into any kind of a. A scenario in terms of you know like daytime, evening time, soft lighting, uh, harsh lighting, complementary lighting, non complementary lighting, and w- however you've set up, you know your shaders on on your asset, it has to be uh, the, the shaders and the geometry. It, it has to survive that kind of testing that you're putting it through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, just making sure that you know it's it's also Easy to understand, like you know, you you don't you never know who's gonna light your asset. So if it's easy to pick up, has as few controls as possible, that's how you, that's how you want to get it to a point where it's easily portable. That's look dev. Um, lighting is just making sure that you're working with, you know, the shot before the shot after. Make try and make sure that you know what the dop was after. Try and light. The look dev asset that you've got in a way mm. that is actually fitting the storyline. Um, to me, that's the difference. And also, a lighter is responsible for like maybe handling multiple shots and making sure they're rendered correctly. Uh, so, to me, that's sort of the difference. And the relationship between a lighter and the look dev artist is also very good. Uh, in or or worth talking about mm-hmm. sorry stop me anytime no but, no no. i will not uh, stop you <laughs> that's and, very interesting yeah um usually you know you might start out as a lighter mm-hmm. but then you're taking somebody's asset and if you're curious enough to figure out okay i want to know how this was made so the journey from a lighter to a look dev artist is one that i personally find very interesting and and i and it's uh, it's something that I ask people who are starting out in the industry and they want to do like look dev and, and shot lighting. I ask them to start lighting shots so you understand what it's like to light something that's already been made. Then you go into figuring out how to
0: actually make it.
1: Mm-hmm. Going into too many details there. But no, no, no. Yeah. It's
0: perfectly fine for me. Yeah. Thank you very much for clarifying this. So can we say like, let's say a look dev artist have to prepare like a neutral light that could work for, let's say, most of the conditions. Mm-hmm. And then the lighter have to take over him at some point and make sure that as you said, as you well said, uh, uh, yeah, um, fits the need of the DOP or, or the director of uh,
1: Yep. So you the look dev artist has to start with a fairly neutral, fairly complementary lighting setup. Um white balanced and and you know like you want to get your asset rendering as quickly as possible mm-hmm. and then you do want to test it in some other types of lighting scenarios um, small bright lights really test look dev mm-hmm. big area lights you know lights like these here they're very complimentary and, and they will make they will hide a lot of imperfections mm. in your looked at. So start easy, start neutral, shine a super bright light, small bright light, and see how your asset reacts. Especially if it's, um, you know, if it's got fur, uh, it's always very interesting to shine a, a small light, which is very bright, and you pick up all these lovely speculars or backlighting. Um,
0: that's where you start to see the character of what you're building as an asset. Amazing! Thank you very much for this. Can you can you tell us more about your background? <laughs> where where? Where do you want me to start? <laughs> from the uh, very beginning. <laughs> that's that's the boring bit.
1: Um, no, so I I come from Pakistan, mm-hmm. um, and I discovered three D by accident. Um, I when I didn't even know this was a career. When was that? Uh, nine, ninety one, ninety two, something like oh, that. Oh, wow. yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a long time ago. And just that the computer I had at the time that my parents had bought for me and my brother and my sister, there were three of us, uh, had very good graphics and had better graphics than the Macs out there and and the IBM mm-hmm. PCs out there. So because the whole thing was set up around graphics, I just became more and more interested in it. And then over time, um, the curiosity grew. And then I discovered that actually people were using the same hardware and the same software in movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you start to see movies that, you know, like one of the earlier films I saw was called The Abyss.
0: Yeah. James Cameron's movie. It has
1: has this beautiful water creature in it. Um, And, and, you know, it just makes you think. I also have the same, maybe not the same, but maybe the same type of capability mm-hmm. in my bedroom. And these guys are <laughs> filming these on these sets. And I'm in Pakistan and these guys are in Hollywood. So maybe I can do something with 0.1% of what they're trying to achieve, <laughs> maybe even less than that. So the curiosity just grew from there. Um, and um, after my school, I applied to an art school, they turned me down. And then I thought, what am I going to do now? So the other option was apply to a, a different college. So after university, computer science, and I worked as a programmer for a little bit mm-hmm. um, in Pakistan. Then I got a job offer from Saudi Arabia. The money was great. And I thought, hey, why not Why not do this? Uh, it was my salary with a Pakistani salary with a zero attached <laughs> at the very end. So I'm going to go and do this. Um, so I worked in Saudi Arabia for three years.
0: It's still yeah. uh, it, like computers, a uh, computer development. So
1: it was a bit of designing mm-hmm. and development. Mm-hmm. We would, it was more design. And so I would be sent to like, you know, work directly with clients, get their requirements. And then uh, sometimes design their websites. So, you know, we were working for like banks. Mm-hmm. Um, like Saudi Ramco was one of the clients. Um, So, you know, we would go into these places and come out with um, projects that we had to do. It was great, but it wasn't really my calling. Mm -hmm. So I would come home at 6.30 and I would fire up my PC and I would start to do some 3D on it. (laughs) And after about two years of like working after hours, I would constantly share my uh, work online and i and i had a website since 95 96 96. um somebody saw my work featured me on a cg portal um and that was like you know that was my break somebody then offered me a job
0: oh wow okay yeah in the uk 1996
1: no so sorry i have completely ignored the timeline here so this is around 2001 okay 2001 2002 Yeah, t- yeah,
0: still, I mean, 2002, yeah. Yeah,
1: so, uh, yeah, so I got, you know, I got a lot of attention through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was literally overnight that, you know, I got, I went to bed, I was featured, <laughs> I woke up, I had emails from people, do you want a job? I was like, yeah, <laughs> uh, I want to do this professionally. So, which is what I was trying to do, you know, it, it, the more I did it, the more, um, Curious, I became the more interested in in the art form, and and I always wanted to make things um, light and render them and and produce images. Mm-hmm. I never had the capability to do animations because of you need a render farm. Yeah. Um, so, but then you know, around that time, two thousand two, I got my um, a job offer from a studio in here in Pinewood. Um, in near, have you been to Pinewood? Yeah, you, you yeah, know yeah. where Pinewood yeah, is. Yeah, uh, so yeah, so um, October 2003, I was in the UK. Yeah, okay, and uh, yeah,
0: amazing. <laughs> I was in the industry, <laughs> uh, but do you remember the name of the studio? Did you Did you guys was the name of the place? Did Digi- you? Ah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, I think a friend of mine worked on it. It's, it, it. Was it Was it the game studio? Yes, it was a game yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, I think a friend of mine, Nicola, worked there uh, for so many. He was Lightwave artist. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I used. Uh, that's what we used. We yeah, used Lightwave. Yeah, yeah. Then we moved to Modo. Then we moved to Softimage, XSI, um, and uh, then Softimage. Yeah. more oh, Softimage. <laughs> it is no <laughs> more and uh, was no more,
0: and so we moved to other other softwares. So today you are head of VFX mm-hmm. at Intel Studio. Uh, and I know previously you've been head of, other, uh, uh, head of uh, different departments at The Meal and uh, lead, for instance, at MPC. Could you please tell us the difference between head of CG, head of VFX, and uh, head of discipline, for instance, lighting or effects?
1: So the roles that I've done are, are head of 3D, head of uh, CG, and now head of VFX. Um, obviously, 3D head of 3D is very concentrated on on specifically that. I had the unofficial role of head of lighting, uh, though technically it was lighting and rendering supervisor. But mm-hmm. your you're, what you're trying to do as somebody who's head of lighting is actually is dependent on the studio. If, if you're head of lighting, you might just be recruiting and making sure that your your department is set up in a film studio. It has a different meaning. Yeah. Um, so you're recruiting people who can come in light shots, people who might potentially be look dev. Uh, in a commercials environment, that could be something different. So when I was the lighting and rendering supervisor, um, that is specifically focused around workflows. What is the most... Um, technical way to do something that allows maximum creativity towards the end without breaking the look of something if, mm-hmm. if I've explained that right um, so you know the conversation around look dev uh, it, it was key to this was central to this role how do you set up your standards for mm. look dev how do you set up your standards for short lighting how do you actually measure light that makes sense to people like us in mm. VFX you know you can measure it with you know like candelas and lumens i don't speak that language and most vfx artists i know don't speak that language we speak the language of evs or f-stops so how do you actually get that as like you know an accepted way Mm -hmm. to communicate Um, how do you make sure that your uh, color science and color imaging pipeline is set up in a way that you are doing physically correct or physically based as much as possible um set up and also visualizing in a way that is not limiting the amount of dynamic range um you're viewing it in a way that allows for maximum flexibility on what you're trying to achieve as a look dev artist or as a lighting artist so it, it it's more of a technical thing mm-hmm. um, that encompasses many areas. Head of 3D is probably more, you know, around recruitment, making sure you're getting the right people in. Mm. They're able to um, sorry across departments. Uh, head of 3D is just 3D, so okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So sorry, I've gone from like the head of lighting to no, like no, no. head of 3D. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, what I
0: meant is, in my uh, head of 3D is across. All departments that contain 3D. Yes. Yeah. So So it could be I don't know, FX or or, FX assets, uh, lighting, animation. Yeah, yeah,
1: rigging. Oh yeah. Yeah. So and people who can you know, people who can lead jobs, so you're making sure that they're supported. Mm -hmm. And the people who are leading jobs are supported on the CG side, Mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, they have very strong people who can, you know, tell them um you know advise them on how to set up their shot lighting for example or look dev um, or f- for how to do the the most efficient way to do an effect simulation um, or sometimes it it goes the other way where an effect supervisor or sorry a light a VFX supervisor comes and says I need a certain type of effect and then that brings a challenge of its own and it and and the effect supervisors or, Whoever's on the CG side mm. may not have the answers, but mm. is always willing to like, okay, you bring me the challenge, and I will figure a way out. Um, so it's making sure that that sort of healthy challenges are there, um, and and also making sure that your 3D department is well integrated with the departments um, you know, downstream would be you know comp is well integrated, and you have a healthy relationship with them. You have a healthy relationship with the color grading team. Um, you're ve- well integrated with production, and um, you know you're helping the bids come out and and also talent. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge part of it. That like you're nurturing talent uh, in your department. I'm going to go to head of CG. Um, so I was the group head of CG at The Mill, mm-hmm. which, which was a global role. And at The Mill, that was cross-department. Okay. Um, you are just working across many different... It's exactly what I described for head of, head of 3D, but you're also supporting more departments. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily leading them mm-hmm. in the way that I did it. You're more in a supportive role. And you're making sure you're coordinating across all the different offices. Mm-hmm. So the mill had six offices. Um, still does. So that was, the, that was the head of CG role. The head of VFX is all-encompassing. So it's more of a support and leadership role. And it's all departments combined.
0: Including 2D departments. Including 2D Yeah, Thank you very much. That's very valuable information. Uh, What advice would you give to, let's say, a lead, uh, for instance, on how to plan, how to manage his team? For a lead
1: to um, effectively plan, they need to be in very close contact with what we call operations mm-hmm. um and operations also need to be in very close contact with the lead when a job comes in a lead has to make sure that they have the right people stylistically speaking for that project so if it's a, if it's more of a design orientated project then people with the right eye have to be on it people with the right sense of timing for animation need to be on it and if You know, if if there is no one individual who can do the visual and the timing together, then, you know, you need to split that up. Mm -hmm. But then, you you know, the crewing needs to be very well set up for that. Uh, The relationship with production is key here as well, because how do you actually interpret the requests, the design changes that are coming in? And how do you actually deliver them on time? Because you can, you know, requests will keep coming in. And there's you know with most projects there is a deadline attached to it. of course, um, sometimes the deadline extends and but you have a fixed budget you have to do as much as you can in that amount of time it's It's very, very important to work with the executive producer on the job to make sure that you're you're telling the producer that creatively this is what makes most sense, and you work with the director on you know, on the client side. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And and that relationship has to be very key uh, in making sure that, you know, what the director wants is actually something that can be achieved um, within the time that's there.
0: How do you, for for instance, you have a director who never worked or did any project that have VFX in it, and uh, you want to quantify, let's say have want have an idea about the budget of any effects he want to include in his movie how do you translate this from or how, how do we how can you talk for instance to someone who never did this before to uh, yeah to make him understand how how we work or how we do it and how we budget
1: early engagement you have to you have to engage with them very very quickly you have to know the director's background the type of work they've done before and you have so we work in commercials for us it's you know a director is working with an agency so make sure that you're you're communicating your needs um regarding how to plan and how to make sure that you know you're advising how you shoot something so a director may not have a, a lot of vfx experience but then you know usually that's recognized and they come asking for help, and in that situation, it's always a healthy relationship where you're you're advising, you're, you're taking the you know you're getting on board with the vision of the director, and you're then advising on how to actually accomplish it within the time and budget that's there. It's it's always a conversation mm-hmm. and communication. sometimes yeah, communication yeah. is key. I mean, exactly, yeah. and sometimes you might just reframe you might present a different solution and mm. say look within this time we are actually cannot achieve this shot or or these set of shots can we find another way to get the same idea across so again it's it's you know you just throw ideas together mm.
0: uh, how much did your degree in computer science uh, help you in your VFX career uh
1: it it helped me in many, many ways. Um, but I don't think a degree is actually necessary mm-hmm. because I've seen people achieve way more than I have and they have no computer science degree and they've gone ahead and learned so much more than you know the knowledge that I had. Um, for me, it helped in the sense that when I wanted to learn... When I wanted to peek behind the curtain, so to speak, <laughs> it was easier for me to peek behind and quicker for me to get on board with the concepts. Mm. For other people, they might have to spend a little bit more time. Um, it was, you know, the programming side was easier to look into, the math side was easier to look into.
0: Relatively easy. There were certain they, they things. They talk to you. I mean, yeah, you talk. I mean, when you see. Uh, math or physics it's feel you feel comfortable with it so I would I wouldn't say comfortable
1: <laughs> I would say that you know there is it, it's like a degree of confidence yeah I see okay yeah. that okay I've done something like this before so maybe I can have another look at it Um, like you know if you ask me about something completely a a very different career I will be very hesitant to offer any opinion or even look into it but if I have you know if I have taken like three courses in that area as Mm -hmm. part of my foundation year somewhere then that kind of removes that barrier to barrier for your curiosity to take over and go okay actually let's go and find out (laughs) so it was helpful it was helpful in many ways for me personally um there, are, there have been phases in my life where I've just given myself hard problems to solve and the problems that I picked were conveniently in the domain of um, computers and, and programming mm. and math and algorithms and how do you actually take real world phenomena and translate that into mathematical constructs, computer science constructs. Mm-hmm applied computer science applied math um even though that's not my degree but my degree was computer science and math but not the application side of it mm-hmm. um, it, it you know it for, i definitely benefited to cert, to a certain extent it shaped my career and shaped the direction okay. in which yeah. i travelled mm-hmm. if i'd taken an art degree which i did apply to an art school and didn't get in if i'd gone that down that route Whatever route I I would have been on, would have been shaped by whatever I did as a um, in, in that article. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Tell us more about the AA ocean. <laughs> AA ocean. <laughs> AA ocean. It's still, it's in Houdini now, right? You can use it in Houdini. Yeah, but it's outdated. Don't use <laughs> don't use it in Houdini. I remember uh, back in the day, it was an amazing tool. <laughs> yeah. So can you can you tell us more about the AA ocean? Uh, is it a A.A. Ocean or Oceans? A Ocean. Ocean, yeah, sorry. Um, so the long story is...
1: Yes. <laughs> um, so I used to work at a small studio mm-hmm. called Men From Mars. Mm-hmm. And we would be pitching on work that the likes of MPC would be doing. Mm-hmm. This is around like 2007, okay. 2006. And MPC had scanline ocean toolkit right um and so we just you know there were two of us at men for mars me and julian we were just sitting there and going how do we actually compete with the likes of mpc and they have r&d and they have all of this stuff and then uh you know like uh, it's like scanline Mm -hmm. um so but we do we knew that there was this paper by jerry tessendorf that approached how do you actually. You know, how do you do um, open water, Mm -hmm. open ocean? This is not like, you know, stormy water. It's just open ocean. And, you know, it it was like, how do I actually start doing something like this? And I knew that, okay, you know, I have... I should be able to do this. I have a degree in (laughs) computer science, a half a degree in math. Um, But when I picked up that SIGGRAPH paper, it just... um, It was like five levels above any understanding I had of, um, it was dense. It was dense in the sense that it was hard to understand exactly what it was talking about. It was talking about like Fourier transforms and I'd I'd never studied those. I didn't even know what they were. Um, So it, it took me about a year of reading that SIGGRAPH paper, getting frustrated, thinking I'm not good enough, putting it away, reading it again, making a little bit of a headway getting frustrated (laughs) going into my lawn and you know just pulling out the weeds and making sure that in the back of my mind something's trickling away Um, so eventually by like I think it took me a year and then you know the first prototype was done
0: and it's not a year it's i mean yeah it's not too much it it, it and was I'm hard sure, work yeah i'm sure it's not that you're not 100 percent focused on it you i'm sure you, <laughs> you are doing in, and many other things at the same time there there was though
1: people tell me that you know i was too focused on it when i shouldn't have been so even oh, when okay. i would be at home my mind would be somewhere else because mm-hmm. you're stuck on a problem yeah, yeah and you're constantly thinking why can't i what am i missing what do i need to go and research um the you know the best help was an advice a friend of mine gave me. He said, you don't read a cigarette paper and, and, and think that you will get it. You read it again, and you read it again, and you read it again mm. until you get it. Um, I still don't fully get it, even after all those years. <laughs> there are layers to it, and I just got enough layers so I could implement it. So once it was done... Um, you know we were using it on projects we yeah. were using it at work and then i open sourced it and other people were using it um i used it a bit oh right okay yeah. <laughs> so um it started uh, as a prototype in Softimage ice mm-hmm. um and then into mental ray then arnold came along and then it ended up in arnold uh, then certain people asked me hey can we have it from my ass i was like okay so that's where that's where the computer science bit came in because I needed to hop from one SDK to another SDK, mm-hmm. and that's what made it easier. So I had it running inside um, uh, Houdini. Mm-hmm. Um, HDK was, I think, that was one of the harder SDKs H- for me to pick up, um, but. You know, it it took a day longer than the other ones, so <laughs> in in relative terms, it was absolutely fine. Uh, and then it was in PR man. Once it was in PR man, then at some point, Pixar said, "Can we, can we have it as part of uh, RenderMan?" I was like, "Yeah, take it." And <laughs> it's open source. <laughs> yeah, it's open source. Uh, so yeah, I, I I learned a lot of things. Um, there was one one part of it that. I'd solved slightly differently than the other solutions out there, which is the bit that I'm, I'm proud of in that, that I was able to solve it in a way that, without actually realizing that I was solving mm-hmm. something for a production use case. Um, you might, you know, if, if there were other implementations of Tessendorf's mm. paper, and one of the things in it was that if you change the resolution of your spectrum, mm-hmm. the shape completely changes yep. of your ocean. And that was an issue because I knew that you know, a director is going to walk up to me at some point or a VFX soup and say, <laughs> I need more detail. And if I turned around and said, I'm, well, more detailed means I'm just going to completely change the shape of your waves, the timing. <laughs> so that's a no-go for me. So there, I had to come up with, you know, a way to um, uniquely identify the waves that I built. It was a hash function that I need to do, um, and and I didn't know that I'd actually solve that problem that existed other, in other places. Mm. So that bit I was I was happy about only after like three years, <laughs> after implementing that, people told me, "Oh, you you've solved something that." was an issue somewhere else and and now the houdini system works like that anyway yeah the uh, ocean yeah. spectrum yeah yeah
0: it's uh, very similar to yeah a ocean not oh well it's much better than that so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i need to try I mean, because well, i was long time ago when i when i used your tool No, i will download it again <laughs> and have a look because i never tried it in houdini I, I, last time i tried no. it was in maya i think it's and not. It and my opinion it was yeah. very powerful because, uh, especially for open source tool. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, very very powerful. I mean, to access this in Houdini, you need an, no, um, no, you don't need an FX license. I'm, I'm lying. You just need yeah. the core. But uh, still, I mean, you have to pay for Houdini. Of course, you have to pay for, um, for license, anyways. But uh, yeah, the fact that we have it uh, open source, you can. You can open any almost any software and uh, and use it, so it's, yeah. which is great.
1: Yeah, there there are people who um, moved it to Houdini. Sorry, uh, to modo. Yeah, there is a Cinema 4D implementation. Oh wow! Um, and and these are implementations that I didn't do. Other people just took. Yeah, and yeah. They go over it. your work and yeah. Uh, um, but on the point of open source, I used to just open source everything I would. I would make what other tools did you make? Um, there you were make? a few shaders that I open sourced oh yeah, yeah, yeah and um and and that to me, even though I didn't realize at the time, but I got to know so many people and so many people were using i say so many you know like more than ten people were using my tools <laughs> so well in our industry, it's another people. <laughs> it's <laughs> fair point. <laughs> If 10 people are using your tools, that means you've got connections in, you know, a few places. Yeah. Um, So when I needed to, you know, maybe, you know, like move jobs or something like that, I found that it was easier. People knew of my work and that's how I got into MPC. Hmm. Even though, like, I had applied to MPC many times through the forms and would always get rejected. Frame Store, MPC, wouldn't hear. Um, but it was just by chance that Andrews Langlands, who wrote AL Shaders, mm-hmm. he was looking at some of the code that I put out. And we ended up talking, uh, and I, was, I asked him a question Are you guys hiring? So it, it, because other people know your work, it
0: just became easier of for course. me to move around. Yeah, 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 definitely. I totally agree. Yeah. Give gives you access, even if, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a different way of of getting in, actually, which is a better way, actually, because they know they know what they're expecting from you.
1: It, it's the um, I like to know people. Yeah, of course. And I also like people to know me and and the work that I'm doing, um, and and that's how you know. Back in 1992, 93, that that was the world. You knew people by name, and you may you, you may not know them personally. But you knew the few people who were doing 3D in, mm. in using the, the Amiga computer that I was using at that point, or uh, eventually Lightwave came around, and, yeah. and you knew their names, and they're they're still around today. Um, yeah, pioneers. I mean,
0: uh, pioneers of the of the industry.
1: Yeah. So they're, you know. So I like that people put out their work. Uh, Along the same lines, you know, my first website was in '96. It had 3D artwork on it um, wow. back then. Um, recently, I found I actually transferred those to 35mm transparencies, and I found them um, back when I was in Pakistan, like three, two, uh, a month ago. I found the transparencies, and they're like, you know, they're about 25 years old. and wow. they have 3D. Some of the first 3D that I did. A piece of history. <laughs> Not, I wouldn't say a piece of
0: history, but <laughs> for me, it, it, it's a piece of my history. Wow, it's amazing. Since you mentioned shader, mm-hmm. um, so what's a shader ri- writer? What's a shader writer?
1: It's um, That's a hard question to answer. <laughs> it, a shader writer is. is just... It's like you know setting up your if you're in Houdini, you are setting up your I'm telling you things you already you, you personally you know yeah. uh, <laughs> but it's translating uh, into code. I'm struggling to describe that No, even I mean, though I've written quite a few shaders, <laughs> but a shader writer is somebody who can you can actually program for a renderer. and depending on the shaders that you have to write um it could be something as simple as take two inputs multiply them mm. and produce an output or um come up with a shading model that you know mimics the structure of um light transmittance not the, well, not the structure but how light transmits through mm-hmm. a structure such as human hair mm-hmm. so the hair shaders um of You know, going back in the day, uh, the Marshner shaders, uh, the Kajiya K shaders, these are all people who are um, looked at something that existed in the real world, looked at how light transmitted through that material, turned that into a mathematical model, implemented that. Um, You know, shader writer can be, you know, as simple as the multiply example, and as complex as, you know, the the hair shaders, the subsurface shaders. the, the the Arnold standard shaders mm-hmm. uh, volumetric shaders how light how light goes through like mediums and how it reflects backwards or forwards or the pol- polar diagrams that people draw of how light distributes mm-hmm. as it goes through water molecules uh, uh, and you glass, get Rayleigh yeah. scattering yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and me scattering so yeah it's it's a that's why I struggled and i to describe it because it's such a huge thing you're actually modeling so many things um, mathematically to begin with to then create an image that almost looks or looks real
0: mm-hmm. uh, uh, spot on <laughs> that i think it's a, that's a good description but you you have to have some computer science background, solid computer science background to be able to do to be a shadow writer?
1: No. No? So every time I've thought or somebody has asked me, do you need to be uh, a computer science major? I have found examples of people who have come from nowhere near computer science and have done things that are remarkable.
0: Um, Okay. So Yes, you know, a degree will help you. Of course, yeah, but no, not necessarily a degree. But uh, yeah, you need to you need to know how to to use C C plus plus, for instance. You need y- to know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you need you to know can, how to code. You can learn that. Yeah
1: yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So you can you can absolutely learn that. You can start with C, and that's the that's that's the first step. Or, or C plus plus. I say uh, C, but
0: by the way, if, since we are talking about this, if I wanna. For instance, for any reason, for my job, I need to learn a script or a, or a program. Is it better to start with the oriented object? So, uh, yeah, oriented object. Uh, for instance, Python rather than C, or would would you what would you do uh, if you was in my position? For instance,
1: within VFX. Yeah, within VFX. Uh, just go Python. Start okay. Python. Uh, learn how to do object oriented programming. Then dive into an SDK. Okay. Uh, then dive into well, that depends on what you need to do. Like UIs are always important, how do yeah. you actually yeah, yeah, build yeah. a UI? Um, and yeah, that's where I would start. It's C and C++ has very specific applications. Yeah, so
0: if we go back, so sorry now, sorry yeah, to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So if you go back to Shadow Writer, yeah. so you need to know C. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. most yeah almost
1: yeah. Like, like these days you know that there people are writing renderers in rust oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it the, the landscape is changing mm. uh, so c is definitely gone c plus plus is is one way to pick this up um you know pick up a pick up the, the physically based rendering book mm. which if you want to be a shader writer or even need to understand rendering and to me, that's that's where I actually started. Before, you know, I I needed to understand how does a renderer internally actually work before I got into programming. Because mm-hmm. before that, every time I try and program, I just wouldn't understand what's happening. So when you know books like PBRT came out, mm-hmm. um, or the Mental Ray manuals when they came out, mm-hmm. they actually went into all the stages that a renderer goes through, and then you figure out ah, do I need Geometry shaders, or do I need a surface shader, or do I need a volumetric shader, or do I need an output shader? It's what are you trying to do? That that's that's the question.
0: Um, so it, things fall into place a lot quicker. Yeah. So since you have a computer science background, as you mentioned earlier, how is it easy for you, for instance, to pick up a camera? Ha- and yeah, and say, yeah, uh, and you've been a lighter for quite some time as well, because, for instance, as a lighter, I think it helps if you know how a camera works or how the light work. Yeah, yeah. So how do you translate from computer science to be a lighter? Because it's it, there is some artistic, art, artis, mm-hmm. artistic, like uh, view on it, yeah, which is different from computer science, for instance.
1: I I guess everyone's journey is. Different. Um, my father was always into cameras. My brother is okay. a is a camera fanatic to this day. He carries his large format cameras with him, <laughs> uh, or medium formats. Which camera um, does he? Have? You know, he has a. Uh, well, he he has a posh camera. He he carries a, a flex with him. Okay. And so he's. But you know, you're growing up in that kind of environment. I see. I see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, photography is is it is framed in like you know big canvases oh on worms. wow um my mother's a master's in fine arts so there are paintings and in, in the oh, houses
0: okay i see now yeah yeah so you're coming from art- artistic yeah. background yeah. yeah yeah and um so it was not easy it f- was oh, sorry it was easy for you when you said to your parents for instance yeah i want to work in cg for instance because <laughs> for me my parents did not understand to be honest because they're not coming yeah. from artistic background So for them, it was, I mean, still, I mean, to this day, my father don't understand properly what I'm (laughs) doing. So yeah, sorry, don't interrupt you.
1: No, no, no. they still don't know what I do. so (laughs) Even uh, I've just stopped explaining to them. They're, they're happy. You know, the child has, I'm still a child to them. Yeah, of course. (laughs) um, The child is doing well. He's, he's settled. Um, He's
0: not asking for money. So for money, so it's, (laughs) yeah,
1: exactly. Um, there was a time that, you know, my father did say, after my, my A-levels, um, and I'd applied to an art school. My father was concerned that I may not end up with a career that could be financially rewarding. Mm-hmm. So he set up an interview with his banker friend <laughs> in a nice bank. And I went and I, you know, I had to oblige my dad. And, uh, you know, we sat down, we had that interview. Um, after that, it was. You know, he, he tried to get me into the same university that he went to. Mm-hmm. I is, went it, is it
0: is it an art school? No, so he
1: went to... Um, it's a local university. So he mm. he went there. He did his first master's there, and then he did a second master's somewhere else. Um, so he then said, you must now go to this college. So I went there for one day, and I came back, and I said, I'm never going back there again. It's not the same place that you went to. It's... <laughs> i i it was i found that it was my brain doesn't do well with memorizing things Mm -hmm. and so there, the 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 whole you know the i end up in an english literature class wow and i they were just asking me to memorize things and i was like
0: it's not for me not for me i'm i'm
1: not uh this is you know even though i want to do like a bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. but I can't escape English literature, because they will fail me if I don't pass the subject. <laughs> Therefore, I'm not going back to this university. That was a big argument in the house. Oh, my God. Um, and, um, and then I applied to a computer science school. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, and... So, yeah, you grew up... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that, that was it. Yeah, uh, so you grew up with... With cameras around, so for you, yeah. yeah I mean, lighting and uh, framing, something. I mean, you had, yeah, you, you have <laughs> you had this in your baby bottle, maybe. I
1: I did, but I was never interested. Oh, okay. So I I just was not interested in cameras. I uh, was not interested in art, even though there, you know, books and books about art and cl- Renaissance art. Hmm. Okay. Um, in the house. Um never wanted to get into film uh or tv work my uncle was already in film and television in oh, pakistan wow. okay yeah yeah and he he would live he he used to live next door with no walls in between and so i i've seen you know films being shot um big cameras rolling mm-hmm. um as i was growing up
0: but was never interested okay and so what what yeah, sorry to interrupt you again. Yeah. Uh, what pushed you to to be a CG artist then?
1: Nothing pushed me. It was, I, I it's like I fell into things, one ah, thing after another. So is it like like stumbling almost?
0: No, maybe. It's, not uh, not stumbling.
1: <laughs> I, it, it's more like suddenly realize, oh, I need I need a camera, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I should buy the same camera that. My family is a Nikon family. So mm-hmm. they say if you buy a Canon, we'll kick you out. <laughs> so, oh, so they will kill me. So it has to be Nikon and then it has to have... Okay, I can't afford the Nikon lens for it. So I'll <laughs> buy a Tamron. Um, so that's how I started. Mm-hmm. And then I called my brother, who's the f- expert in photography. Mm. I told him I bought this camera and I bought this zoom lens. And he said, immediately go back return that zoom lens by a prime <laughs> <laughs> okay so you know and then you start shooting with a 50mm 1.4 um and suddenly you you become interested like ah okay this you know the the ah, i the see so because you're experiencing it yeah ah i see what you mean yeah yeah so i it, it's not a conscious effort to mm. go i'm gonna go do this yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. um it's a need of the time that I'm going to go I do see, this. I see, I see. And then suddenly I find that I'm actually interested in this thing. And same with, you know, even computer graphics was mm. similar. Um, I I didn't even know that there was 3D software, just that a friend of mine who was doing 3D in early 90s, his floppy disk um, stopped working. And he knew I was the guy who could fix floppy disks. <laughs> so I fixed <laughs> He said, "If you fix this, you can actually use the 3D software." Uh,
0: oh. <laughs> so I ended up fixing it, and I discovered 3D. Amazing! So here okay. you are. <laughs> here here you history. are. <laughs> yeah. Fixing a floppy disk, you end up uh, ahead of. Uh, <laughs> 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 you never knew that. You never thought of that back then. That, <laughs> that one floppy disk. <laughs> which which was completely useless nowadays. <laughs> I still keep one of them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> actually, I still have one. Yeah. I don't know why for me it was a, like sort of a revolution back then. It was actually yeah. because uh, storing things, st- I mean storage was like a, yeah, a big thing uh, back on the days.
1: Storage was. I because the first computer that I used was a Sinclair Spectrum. Mhm. Um And that used to run on a cassette tape. So all the programs were on a cassette tape. (laughs) And so my brother would turn on the program. And my job was to make sure that the volume was set in a way that it's not too weak. So the signal to noise ratio was, (laughs) I was the controller of that. So the signal is strong enough that the spectrum can understand it. But it's not strong that it clips. Mm. And... But it was, you know, it was starting from cassette tapes to then the three and a, the, the five and a quarter inch floppy to then mm. the three and a half inch, um, and then the hard drives that once I could afford them.
0: <laughs> so the rest yeah. is history. Amazing, amazing stories. Uh, how essential do you think it's uh, is to have a VFX supervisor on set?
1: A hundred percent. A
0: VFX soup has to be on set. Assuming there are VFX in. The <laughs> <laughs> well, and and new few not indie, indie movies that did not have <laughs> soup on set. Independent movies. No, okay. no, no. It was not indie movies. It was big budget movies that did not have, at least for those sequences uh, uh soup uh, like a VFX supervisor on set, and it was a nightmare. I was going to ask. So, how <laughs> did those sequences nightmare. go? <laughs> it was an absolute nightmare. and nightmare. So, because it w- w- there is no HDRI, for instance, we had to go and dig, dig deep, and find when the when it was shot and where, so we could like more or less like mimic. This it was a nightmare, anyways. So yeah yeah. Sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You absolutely need one. They're, they're from. The role of a VFX supervisor is is not just to capture all the data that's going to be needed to execute the visual effects for a shot or a sequence, but also to advise on what's the most efficient way to shoot so that we can actually do the VFX. Mm -hmm. Uh, there, There are just so many times when you need to capture things in camera and you, you don't need VFX for something. You know, you, you, being on set means that you don't invent work for downstream that you haven't budgeted for. You only do the work that you budgeted for. If extra work comes up, then that's a conversation to be had with you know, the exact production rep on one side and, and on our side. So it's, it's, a, it's a key presence on set for VFX to be successful.
0: Okay. Um, so, for instance, yeah, as we because we're mentioning the VFX soups, or VFX soup in uh, on set. Uh, what's the main job of the VFX supervisor on set?
1: It, the main job is to, I would say, even it starts before you go on set. Yeah. And it's being involved in the planning of how you're we going to shoot something on set. That close collaboration with the director, and eventually with the DOP as well. Um, That's where you start. Then you're in charge of making sure that everything that you've planned gets executed to plan. If something, it's set, and nothing ever goes to plan 100%. Uh, And when it doesn't, you're there to advise on, you know, how we could solve a challenge. in, a, in maybe a different way, you know I've we we've all been in those situations where you know things haven't gone to plan uh, and but at least there's been a a VFX supervisor for anyone downstream within the VFX department who's got their back um, and then once this the shoot's done, they come back with like loads of other information like measurement data, lidar scans um they may not be personally to be doing them but they might have somebody with them mm-hmm. just to make sure that we're capturing everything that we need um from a data perspective mm-hmm. um, so that you know people don't have to guess and when you have to guess downstream it just is <laughs> you know so much time gets wasted and is it right was it like that
0: uh, who was there you're not actually sure anymore hard. yeah it's very hard to guess super super hard yeah. especially yeah as you as you well said i mean when you don't have the right data i mean how are you gonna figure it out and of course you can't ask either the dup or the director and anyone because first of all sometimes they don't know what you are talking about and it's and the other thing as well is that then it's not their job so they don't they're not necessarily focus on whatever dat- data you are looking for. So it's, yeah, it's very hard to mm-hmm. recover, actually. Uh, how much AI is involved in BFX? <laughs> 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 so A- AI is the buzzword these days. Taking and over. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not enough. Um, you think we should have more?
1: It's hard to... It's hard to access. Mm-hmm. Because of uh, A, it's very, very new. B, sometimes it's often you don't have the computing power to actually execute the things you need Mm -hmm. to. Uh, It's all processed in the cloud sometimes because the computing power exists in the cloud. Mm -hmm. Um, You you know, whether you want to do um, some kind of, you know, like facial tracking. like even the, I'm going to say deep fakes, but uh, you know, even that requires some amount of mm-hmm. computational um, power that most people don't have. And there are applications. They're beginning to come through more in the world of 2D right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, less so in the world of 3D. It's very, very early days. Like Flame Autodesk Flame has now yeah. integrated some AI-based uh, tools. I haven't actually looked at them, but we know they're they're there. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's like maybe there are some rotoscoping tools and stuff yeah, like that. that's what I wanted to yeah. ask. Because,
0: yeah. for instance, even in Nuke, I still can't understand why it's not AI taking over to do much move or go to it, It's.
1: I think what. It depends on what we expect from it as well if you expect the full solution you may not always get it of course if you expect to get 80% of the way then you've saved some time and you can you can move forward
0: from there yeah in the long term you save some money as well because it's an investment but uh, yeah I agree even if you have to clean up it's like motion capture right? you never use it as it is you you take the data And then you process it afterwards, because it's impossible. you can use it straight away yeah. so but yeah, you have as you said, eighty percent of the job done, you just have to fix a few things here and there, and then you can use the data
1: yeah, exactly and and you know other applications of it are in in the world of image searching, so a lot of times you know everyone wants an asset library and How do you actually go through an asset library? Oftentimes, you visually search through Mm, it. And if you're going to go through like thumbnails or, you know, find me all the pictures of cities, for example, or all the sequences, because you might be looking for, like in 2D, you often look for, like, give me sky sequences Mm. um, at dawn time, dawn or dusk. So, you know, you, you can actually utilize that technology there today. Um, if it's integrated If enough of your own sequences that you own Are in that system For this model to train on Then you can actually start using that technology today um, But Some places might have those deployed mm-hmm. We're certainly trying to get them And we're working with a few people who've actually Solved the problem um, There are, you know, a lot of these problems Are solved in the realm of um, Like, you know Amazon has uh, recognition so you could Mm -hmm. use that and you could train you could work with that to go through all of your image sequences and make sure that you've got some kind of visual pattern matching there Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. what are the main differences between game film and uh commercial so because you worked in all of them
1: i have worked in all of them Uh, my first job in the uk was for a game studio Mm -hmm. Um, but I was working more in the cinematics. Yes. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the 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 difference between I guess today the differences are less and less. So the further back in time I go, the more you will find those differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the world of games, we had to like you know optimize a lot more in terms of polygon counts, mm-hmm. texture sizes. Um, so much energy used to go into optimization. The number of bones a, a character can have, uh, the number of active lights you can have. You know, you, maybe you can have three lights, maybe you can have four, but that's it. Um, and <laughs> explosions it, with fifty particles. Or <laughs> yeah, um, and you know a lot of sprite-based stuff like yeah image sequences put on planes that are always facing the camera. So the 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 way you solve problems were very different in games. Uh, And also games, actually, on on the plus side, games relied on solving things that we solved in VFX much later on. Mm. Um, So, for example, how do you actually view images properly with a proper tone map? Mm -hmm. was more common in games Mm. than it was actually in the world of VFX so you know you would like Arnold today has got only very recently has started um, coming out with like you you use this Asus seven oh nine transform V-Ray solved it back in the day but the rest of them did not Um, even like how do you get like in games how do you take a take an agent from point A on a terrain to point B, they had that solved as as forms of heat maps. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only when you know people in VFX started looking at, like, we need to do a crowd system. How do we get an agent from one place to another place? How do we do that? <laughs> and then the solutions in games, because they've solved that problem. Um, in terms of commercials, and VFX, sorry, commercials and film. Mm -hmm. Commercials are more freeform. Mm -hmm. You might be doing three tasks at once. So we encourage people to do um, not just the simulation, but try and also render it. Mm. Yeah. If you think there is a problem with your camera, pop open the camera scene See what's happening, so we encourage that mm. uh, you know, that crossover um, film I find in my experience of it, which is less than that of commercials, is more you know heavily pipelined and regimented, and there are workflows for many things that have to be adhered to. I think it's changing now, I think film and commercials are coming together in terms of how they work. Um, In the past, it's always been very, very segmented on the film side, less so on the commercials. I personally tend to enjoy the freedom you get in the world of commercials Mm -hmm. because I started out as a generalist. Yeah, 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 of course. And I will probably never be as good as a specialist but I like the fact that I can go into all of these areas and you know i I can have a say in this thing in in one particular part of a project and do something there and then publish it and move it to another part and then render it and sometimes I might even comp it if i'm if I'm lucky that doesn't happen in film as often yeah. um, for me it's it's the number of hats you wear in commercials. That's very different to the number of hats you might wear in in film. And it may not be a bad... It's not a bad thing. Like I was saying earlier, I will never be as good as a specialist, right? So my water simulations will never be as good as your water simulations. <laughs> I doubt that. So, <laughs> you know, I can do open waters and I can do just a little bit of like, okay, I can never Tiny bit of wind on it, (laughs) but to do a form as well, I think it has the form. Yeah, not to the level that you can do it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's what I mean. Like, I will, I will never have that level of um, extra finesse Mm. to my work. But in the world of commercials, I may not necessarily have to do that. I'll. Ask a specialist to come in. And so that's where you know you and I have worked together before. Yeah, yeah. So you suddenly realize, hey, I'm a I'm a generalist and I know my limits. Now I need to go and somebody find somebody who's, mm. who's actually excelling in that area. And and in film you find there are many, many specialists. And so in terms of like knowledge in subject matter of individual verticals, if I can call it that you sometimes find that people have had the time and the opportunity to hone in on those specific things in film than in commercials. Mm. The huge, um, the amount of data that film generates oh. that commercials <laughs> yeah. will never generate. Yeah, yet. that's true. So if somebody yeah. says, I want um, I want to split the Red Sea apart <laughs> in commercials, <laughs> it will be tough. It has been done. Uh, by a, a studio where a really good friend of mine, Francois, work,
0: used to work. Uh,
1: it has been done, but not to the, to the scale.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember once I uh, used to work in a commercial company and uh, I thought I would, because I'm, I have a huge film background, so I said, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter how many terabytes I would generate. <laughs> as soon as I reach two terabytes, someone come down. And, that's a catastrophe. (laughs) You need to delete everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did not realize until this happened, actually. Was that the same place that we used to work at? (laughs) 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 Right, okay. Yeah, it was. Uh, So, London is one of the biggest uh, VFX hubs Mm -hmm. uh, on the planet, if it's not the biggest. Uh, So... um, how do you see the industry in the next five to ten years
1: i i wish i was a uh, visionary and i could tell you <laughs> um it, it just keeps changing and you know when there was a time when we thought all the work is going somewhere else because yes, a lot of yes a lot of film work is uh subsidy based Yep, yeah. and so if another country pops up and and gives more subsidy to film you know, people. You know, that's w- how London to Vancouver shift happened. Yeah. And then from Vancouver, when Vancouver became too expensive, to Montreal happened. Yeah. Uh, and then Montreal, I'm sure, is going through the same kind of cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We're in a fortunate position today because a lot of there was just you know the likes of Netflix and Amazon and, mm. and streaming has demand. Uh, yeah. So platforms episodic was just not a thing right Mm. okay they're used to the occasional bbc documentary that you would work on or a channel 4 documentary or an itv documentary that's it but now there are just you know you're you're doing these so many episodes um so many individual um programs on tv that you have to do something for so it's it's a very fortunate time i don't see that changing um because, you know, the, if anything, over the pandemic, people have started watching more TV. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually growing. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It has grown. Uh, as long as good content is out there, people will keep watching. Good content is key. So, as, as long as that is out there, then, you know, we will have work. Mm-hmm. Commercials is different, though. Commercials
0: is not subsidy based. Yeah. So, Oh, yeah, true, actually. It's only for movies, the subsidies. Yeah. It's not even for games. I I'm not actually sure. don't know about games. Yeah, I'm not sure because I think it's only for films.
1: So, like, commercial work, advertising yeah. has just generally been a strong sector. Um, it People have questioned it because if you're watching Netflix, if you're watching Amazon, you're paying and you're not watching ads. Mm-hmm. So you do think for a while, uh, what's the future like for commercials? For oh, commercials, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people are have now switched away from watching ITV, or mm. um, but work is still there, mm. and because you know if you're not doing VFX for commercials, you're doing VFX for episodic. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're just easy
0: to shift. Yeah, you're pivoting. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, different. Yeah, yeah, tr- true. There is some technologies that. In my, I don't believe in, for instance, uh, AR or VR. I'm not saying it's it's a good technology, but I mean, five five years ago, I mean, for me, in my opinion, was not there yet. still, until now, it's not there yet. It's too expensive. I mean, you need like a very mm. really powerful machine. It reminds me a bit like uh, the stereoscopy for movies. This, for me, it doesn't work. Like uh, what happened, what, did, what Cam- James Cameron did for avatar two thousand and nine yeah well it's funny but uh, it make 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 the cost of the mm-hmm. the cinematic it's higher it's it's more much more two times more expensive than usual now unfortunately, but that's it i don't see the benef benefit benefits of uh, or, or, or yeah of the three d um yeah having three d movies in theaters but it's not it's it's fine you I mean you can have for so, some movies it's it, yeah it's good but i don't see the necessity of it how do you see the uh yeah the progress of vr or uh, or uh, a- 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 ar
1: it's uh i th- unlike the the ar vr of the 90s yeah I, this time around there is you know a, a lot of momentum behind it there are a mm. lot of big players behind it even if you don't have the computing power, you could stream, you could process and stream uh, visuals. You know, you could do your computing somewhere else. Yeah, cloud. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have to be uh, the beefy computer that you buy. Mm-hmm. We're not there yet, but you know, if every if if every cloud machine came up came up with an RTX thirty sixty or two of them, and you could pay to have that experience streamed to you then you know, it's, a, it's a bit of a game changer compared to before. Where I think it's slightly different is it's an individual experience mm. in a physical space. And if you want it to be more than one person involved, then that other person has to be virtual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the metaverse and, you know, you're you're just maybe if you want to go down that route, then you're moving into a very different world. Um, You could have, I don't know, like the Ready Player One examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe that's the future. And maybe everyone has one of those and you want to escape, um, you know, the realities of one set of issues and then maybe go into... Um, or, or, or you know, what, escape from one reality and go into a different one. Um, it is evolving. I'm, I'm not in a position to say where this will mm. go. Um, but you know,
0: next three to four years, we will see this
1: changing massively.
0: So yeah, what Facebook or Meta is doing is going to the right direction. Yeah, in that sense. if
1: if they can compute and they can stream to you, compute for you and stream mm. to you. Um, and then all your Facebook friends, you're you're actually seeing uh virtual versions of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's something that you might want to do for how long? I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like you know, we a, a few of us went towards almost all of us went towards Facebook, and then some of us decided, okay, I've had enough Facebook yeah, and yeah, I'm gonna yeah, pull true. back. It, it, it might be a fashion thing, it may, it might not be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. I'm convinced I, I'm okay I changed my mind <laughs> <Right>. okay <laughs> I may yeah I may consider it again uh, what's the biggest asset in your opinion to be able to work in a prominent or uh, 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 or big VFX studio uh, dedication
1: okay and curiosity mm-hmm you're actually interested in the work you do. Mm and I think that holds true for anyone working in VFX. Um, It takes a certain type of individual to work in VFX and (laughs) thrive in VFX because you're actually very, very interested in the problem space. And, you know, whether it's the, you know, how do you actually come up with the storylines or, you know, the um the storyboards to actually go and shoot if that's where you're interested in Mm. or how do you solve complex problems like do things that haven't been done before um at a scale that they haven't been done before if those are the types of things you're interested in solving it's you will thrive and these are not qualities that are just like curiosity is not limited to um uh, VFX. It's it's like a universal thing it could apply to any field. Yeah, if, of course. Yeah. Dedication and curiosity, and continuously, continuously learning, because the field changes all too often. Mm. And um, just find that, you know, find that piece of knowledge, and know it really well, and
0: then move on to something else. Because or or help reinvent it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's true. Yeah. I mean, if I take my story that I applied with ten years or ten, fifteen years ago, and I take the same one and try to apply with now, I don't think it's gonna work.
1: <laughs> yeah, you want to see my twenty-year-old transparencies?
0: So <laughs> More than twenty, thirty years old. Thirty years right. old.
1: Um, yeah, uh, y- you know, even that. Um, which was
0: something. Which which was a huge thing, but huge think but but back then so yeah, you know, transparency in years
1: yeah it it was it was something that the great thing is the pace at which things change within the world of yeah physics. of course yeah and yeah. certain things are it's good that certain things are constant but other things are changing very rapidly mm. um, and so there's always more things to learn mm-hmm. and if you're interested in that learning kind of process you'll always be relevant um you know i've gone from like being a modeler to um to a lighting artist to working in games to being a shader writer Mm. to being a um i'm forgetting now (laughs) (laughs) um you know to just be interested in solving like departmental issues like how do we how do we take things from um one department move it to another how Mm -hmm. do we actually track that data so many things that you could spend your time learning and dedicating your time to as long as you're doing that you you are relevant and you will learn uh, and you will learn from others around you as well so surround yourself with those types of people and
0: um, it's there is no way you won't succeed that's I think that's the one of the strongest point of this industry is the people around you yeah. in sharing the knowledge is key. So uh, the more we share the better that people around us will understand. And we are, will understand more things.
1: I find that people go out of their way to help explain things to you. Yeah. And because that was the example set for me, you know, that if, if somebody tells you how to do things, you help perpetuate.
0: Yeah, and it's like a heritage. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: So this is how I was taught, and by somebody else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and everything I know was given to me by somebody else, or it was just a chance accident. All yeah, I, yeah, yeah. all I did was I was interested. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah. How do you keep up with the huge pressure work as a lead or head of department? uh
1: it's that's a tough one to answer because <laughs> you c- it, there is a lot of pressure to make sure that you are doing things in a way that are beneficial for the business beneficial for the people uh in you know both from a financial perspective and a Career development perspective a lot of times it's just making sure that you're you know if you if you're always firefighting then obviously the stress gets to you yeah um, my way is to make sure that I have enough support around me people who can help me in and for me to be able to help them manage. The setup that we've got. Um, if you know, there is, there needs to be enough time where you have, where you make time to think long term. Mm-hmm. And if you have that time while knowing that everything's been taken care of, you're managing the stress quite well. Mm. Or, or I am managing the stress quite well if I know that I have left, am I ignoring certain things by focusing on the long-term things? And there better be a good reason for me to ignore all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe it's like, it's more important. I focused, I stay focused on the long-term because that's going to fix what's happening now. There's nothing I can do. If, if that's my goal, then that's another way to look at it. Um, but to make sure that I have you know, enough people around me who can help sustain what we've got and progress and not just sustain progress, that's the only way that I can manage the stress. Mm. Um, otherwise, you just start to feel the burden of too many things. And, and so, you know, in, in many ways, without that level of support that we've got. It would be unmanageable for me to manage the uh, mm-hmm.
0: the stresses of a role like that yeah makes sense uh, how do you choose a good VFX school
1: i I don't know how to answer that because i'm <laughs> I'm self-taught so <laughs> I never went to a VFX school but I I suppose questions um, like one of the key things that are universal. Mm-hmm. Um, who are the you know who are the professors? Where have they come from? Yes. Uh, where have they worked? And what are the placement programs like once you've graduated? How many people got jobs? In which studios they got jobs? What type of work um, do people excel in when they graduate from that school? Mm-hmm. If the school is more focused towards um more research orientated work and there is a lot of research orientated work within VFX then maybe that is the school for you and maybe that is not the school for you hmm. um there was you know there 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 was a um, a colleague of mine who had gotten a PhD in global illumination okay um, from University of Bristol okay no sorry PhD in high dynamic range imaging oh okay um <laughs> So, uh, that's Patrick Letta, who's still at MPC. Um, mm. So, you know, you, you might want to go down that route, and he's a, he's a VFX supervisor. Um, you always follow the, the route. You look at who graduated, what they're doing right now. Maybe you want to follow their career path. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally tend to look at, you know, individual examples and what they did, and then try and follow those were relevant to me and... and and try and follow that to some extent, um, other examples of uh, you know placement is key relationships are key um, like you look at FMX and you know the the relationship that film academy has with that yeah um, so a lot of exposure so you you know you might want to think of going to FMX for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like go and visit a conference. I mean, think pre-pandemic. You're interested? Go to Annecy if you're interested in animation. Annecy is amazing. Yeah. 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 So you go there. You you know you go to Fmx. Just if if you've got a gap year or if you, even if you don't, just fly out and have a look. And then from there, see the type of work that's being done, and then backtrack and see which schools are actually producing candidates that are doing that type of work. So you have to do a lot of your own research. Um, schools will all tell you that, you know, everything is... is of course. Yeah. yeah but it's you a have, paradise and everything is working yeah. fine. And, uh, you have to do your own research. Um, in Like the university I went to was focused more on the theoreticals. Mm-hmm. And so it took us longer to find a job compared to the competing university, which produced like you're ready to program in Microsoft Visual this <laughs> C++ and they would just instantly get a job and so you know it's it's what are your what do you want to do is it more theoretical and then applied or straight applied mm-hmm. um, many ways to look at this I don't know if I answered that question yeah, yeah, in, no, in the most direct I totally way,
0: agree but, with you uh, yeah. in many ways uh, the, for, for me the first thing that I would look for would be the quality of, quality of the students. So what the, what are they producing? What are they showing the previous years? yeah. And then from there, I can see if, of course, if I have no experience, this is the first thing that I will look at. And then I will see the stories of the uh, teachers, or you know, yeah, where they've been before and which studios. And maybe they have, sometimes, you know, you have very good teachers that never been to any studio. So this is worth checking as well and asking around taking the number, phone, hello, do you, th- do you know such and such, and have you worked with him before, Is he a good teacher, sometimes I remember back then, because I d- went to VFX school in France, I, 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 I go there and ask one of the students, and ask straight away, is he good with you, I mean, not necessarily how he treats people, but is he teaching well his uh, subject, so on and so forth, so yeah. So it's yeah. a, it's an investigation. Do your own research. <laughs> yeah, right?
1: exactly. So you're you've kind of based on what you have just said, I've thought of you know like Esma and artifacts. Oh, yeah. Every year they will they will put out show reels, right? Of students. Yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly what you just said. Look at the show reels of the past two years. The names of people are on there. Look at them on LinkedIn. See where they're working. Like, use LinkedIn. Just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, of course. And, and um, if they're in, like, you know, like, f- find out how long after graduating they get a job. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so you know that, you know, this th- this is my path.
0: I remember <laughs> sneaking to MPC's, uh, the ship, you know, MPC's, yeah, yeah, back yeah. then, yeah. asking for questions before, you know, getting to the industry, the f- I with my English was horrible back then, even worse than now. So uh, it's it's unbelievable. I remember sneaking and asking, "Yeah, do you work at MPC? Yeah, how is it?" And uh, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Yeah, because uh, how how we can get in? How to get how to get to MPC or DNEG or Framestore? Of course, those the big three. I called. Now we have ELM, but uh, in London. But uh, yeah, back then it was like, uh, what's the best way to get in? And but this was too late, in a sense, like, I already finished school, and I already have my uh read. So it was, yeah, different questions, but still the same methods, mm-hmm. you know, same way of doing things.
1: I I would say also, for almost every negative story you hear, there is a positive story. Yeah. And, you know, I would I I would always tell people don't listen to like actually ignore the negatives and try and look at the work that a place is producing mm-hmm. people have graduated from one place have gone into a, you know a studio and are producing work that is world class go and join them you know that that alone is reason enough for you to be of course aspiring towards that um and then you know it might be that you, you know the first few years are tough. You may not. You might have. You know. You thought the the practical world is like so, but it ends up being like something different. We all go through that. I mm. went through that. Um, we get used to it. We find we find our own internal balance, and and you know it it's. Um, it's just something that you know students just need to be told that once you graduate, just you know just go and 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 find your own path and you will succeed and to your previous question as long as you're interested and curious, you will be a valued person of no matter where you work
0: yeah i th- yeah totally agree it's similar to toxic environment, you know it could be toxic for you, but not for me, you know, so you don't know until you go there if you don't like it and you feel like the environment of work or whatever, it's not for, made for you. Leave, that's it. I mean, this is how I see it.
1: It might be down to the team you're in. Of it, course, it could be just your um, you. You're not quite understanding the communication that happens there um, because you're possibly new to it. Mm you may not understand the urgency of something. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not an example of a toxic environment, but when I was new in in the UK, uh, everyone was really nice. Even when my work was not nice, Mm -hmm. I needed them to tell me, please just tell me it's not nice. So be frank with me. I struggled with that a little bit. Like, Okay, this means that when somebody says, could be better, okay, you know, I really need to work on this. We um, call it CBB now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Yeah, that's a shot, shot, gunshot kind of grid status. Yeah, now. or Rita, yeah. depends. It, uh, so, you know, it, it, a, a lot of times it's just a language that you're not, um, and certainly that was true for me, it took me a while.
0: What do you think is culture shock? Do you had culture shock when you arrived to the UK?
1: I, did I have culture shock? Um, I don't think I did because, well, that's more coming from like coming from Pakistan mm-hmm. Um, I went through a, you know, the schooling, there are two schooling systems in Pakistan one is, you know, you go through the British schooling system mm-hmm. and the other one is the state schooling system, so mm-hmm. I went I say British. I mean, it's just following British curriculum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you um, mean. It, not, it, it isn't British.
0: Mm. It's just... The way... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the
1: A-levels and the O-levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't such a culture shock for me. Um, my father has... You know, he studied in the UK. Okay, in yeah. the 60s. Okay. Um, University of Wales. So, you know, I, I always knew of his stories. Mm. Uh, my mother went to... A, a school run by missionaries, uh, <laughs> ah, okay, and yeah, yeah. so you know it was all—it was always very mixed in terms of. Ah, I
0: see. So you, yeah, yeah, you had a glimpse.
1: Yeah. So for me, it wasn't like I'm stepping into something completely I see, different. I see. what you mean. Uh, mm-hmm. But for others, it it could have been.
0: Okay, which movies have you uh, have made you want to pursue uh, a career in the industry?
1: I think the. Uh, the earliest was The Abyss. Ah, yeah. And it's not that one that gets sighted. Uh, like people always say, it was Jurassic Park.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Terminator 2 and the Jurassic Park. So for me, it was The Abyss,
1: uh, followed by Terminator 2. There uh, you go. So, <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> yeah, so I, I get in line. Right?
0: Um, Everyone in this industry... In our age our generation yeah Yeah. have have to have at least one of those movies in his list but i will add um star trek oh yeah yeah and the tv uh, series just to
1: be the next generation yeah yeah. um and i will add babylon 5 to it oh yeah because you know it it was made on the um the amiga computer
0: Yeah, yeah, and I had the Amiga computer.
1: (laughs) For you, it was possible to do yeah. This thing thing is in my bedroom, (laughs) and they're using the same thing somewhere far, far away. Um, So I should be able to do this. (laughs) That's amazing. It has lens flares, so uh, there you go. Most basic feature is there. But yeah, it was it was that combination. I think after that. It's the you know it was like one. One film after another, and you know the, obviously the Jurassic Park series came out. Um, there were just a lot of examples of CG starting to make its way into music videos, and I know that's not the question you're asking no, specifically, no, film. No, 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 no But you know, it was like, how do they do? Um, it wasn't even CG the fact that they had you know in Star Trek you know it w- they, they used to have a million dollar budget per episode and you'd go wow like in the 90s a million dollar per episode was, wow was huge and massive it's huge and you're you know you're interested in, okay it's actually a physical model of the, the enterprise but you know some, somehow they're planning it in a way that they're planning the shoot um and then I can make a three d model of this right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, 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 there's all these influences on you that um you know just just are constantly you're trying to connect mm-hmm. what you're seeing with the technology that you have interestingly star wars was never there for me just it it just never did anything for me mm-hmm. even though it it used technology yeah, yeah. quite a lot um but somehow I I missed all of that until like the late 90s. And okay. I just started looking at, okay, let me look at, you know, The Empire Strikes Back. And then, oh, actually, I like that. Yeah, me so, I mean, it's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, So it just, when it went a little bit dark and then it was perfect. Um, episode four and then, you know, episode six were were not my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, though some people will kick me out of their houses when <laughs> if I said
0: that. But, <laughs> no, don't worry, no one yeah. will see this. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think post-Disney, for me, Star Wars, was okay. Well, the last two was not, I mean, again, yeah, it was not my cup of tea. Post-Disney, it's horrible, that's my opinion, except maybe, uh, what's that spin-off? I always forget its name. Uh, Star Wars, uh, I forget yeah, that's the only one. There is one which is not uh, in the continuity of the series. Not Solo, the other one. Uh, uh, Rogue One. Right, okay. It was okay. It, was, yeah. it goes, goes. I mean, it's, it's say a similar atmosphere. I mean, we are in the same mood. But, uh, yeah, I mean, post post-Disney, it's just, okay, let's sell the movie and have some... Yeah. gifts yeah. for k- christmas and uh yeah it's i don't know that's my opinion maybe i'm could be wrong but I, yeah it's not again yeah those ones are not my cup of tea but i'm not a fanatic of star wars it's not like uh yeah i know people who watch star it's like uh it's like a m- taking medicines you know every once a week they have to watch empire yeah. strikes back or whatever so no it's not. no or like uh uh a Lord of the Rings fanatics, for instance, there is a lot of. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's not my. I, I like movies, but it's not not to the point to. Like uh, making my life turning around that movie.
1: I, I think even if if I am to revisit that list for me, you know, even the Abyss and the Terminator 2, Yes, it. Those were significant moments in time, but there were a lot of other. Smaller influences and yeah. other things that were happening at the time that were just kind of leading you towards or leading me towards this field. Uh, I never even considered working professionally as a VFX artist until I think the year two thousand two thousand and one or something mm. like that um, it, it It just seemed like I would love to do it, but how do I actually do it mm. and then when you know it actually became a possibility. Then you know something like careful what you wish for. Um, <laughs> oh, right, okay, I actually have this opportunity, but and I have to leave to go to another country, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you know, you, you you spend a lot of time thinking about okay, now I can actually can't, should I?
0: I'm glad I did, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> that's great, <laughs> you don't regret it, so that's no, 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 regrets that's, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Um How much do you think COVID would change uh, our way of working in VFX? It's...
1: I think we all know how it's changed remote working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or actually brought in remote working. There was no such thing as remote working. I think it speed up the process a bit. Yeah, you had to be like super, super senior to be active, exactly yeah, to yeah, be able yeah, yeah. to do remote working. And now you can join in as a remote worker. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually not a great way to join because uh, onboarding is a huge problem if you. Yeah, that's you, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, we were talking about commute times earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, the only times when I've thought, okay, maybe I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm is my commute. And being able to not go into work twice a week, you know, gives me enough breathing space that I don't spend three hours commuting. Mm. That's that's my case. Uh, but it could be for so many other people that that flexibility that, okay, you know, I can... It's, it's six o'clock, so I can do... Um, I can go to the gym, right? Yes. Or I can go and do some sports. So before COVID, um, I like to play squash. Oh wow! And before COVID, I would only do it on a Sunday, Mm -hmm. and I would play on a Sunday morning. It would just completely take out my Sunday, to the point where I didn't just didn't want to play anymore. Um, But now, at six p.m., I can clock off on a weeknight. And then one day a week, I can actually go and do something um, without making that extra effort that I'm actually, oh, I'm going to spend my lunch break in the gym or I'm going to wake up like at 6 a.m. and do this. But it, there is a it's easier to mm. do things mm-hmm. outside of work. Um, Long term, whether the effects of COVID completely change, how we do remote working... Um, i hope it stays and certainly where i work we have a very strong position on this that mm-hmm. being able to remote work is it is actually a, a quality of life thing mm-hmm. and needs to be supported and maintained um i hope that that stays as we go forward and um It doesn't become like, you know, some days you might be working late. Like, we know the world of EFX. Sometimes you you just work really late. And I remember, you know, early days at at the mill where I worked. It was a year where I worked all public holidays. And for three weeks, I just worked nonstop. And uh, I used to fall, almost fall asleep on the train back home go to sleep wake up in the morning fully wake woken up when i would step out of the train the next morning go and do my work and go back to the train and go Mm. back home if you had the ability to do some of that from your house you take the pressure of that away yeah oh okay i don't have to at least you know it's it's 11 o'clock at night. Now I have to spend an hour 30 minutes
0: going home. Yeah. Right. So, so the you already frustrated. Yeah, just after finishing work, because you you, you know that you're, you're not, it's not done yet. <laughs> and,
1: and also one of the benefits of COVID is that you may not need to work until 11 o'clock at night. because yeah. Oftentimes, you're more productive at home. Yeah, true. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you you might actually finish your work early. Um, so lots of benefits, and I think those are the things that we I, I say we but you know a lot of people weren't considering mm-hmm. sometimes because it it was just not an option you wouldn't mm-hmm. even think of it, but then we were forced to think about it, then we were forced to change our ways, and now it's this new normal which I think it's it's quite nice
0: yeah i agree i mean if i if we would I would never start this podcast if we, if we had to work for instance just i mean for me because i was able because i was not this time of commuting i was able to prepare and think of other things yeah okay. rather than spending maybe two to three hours a day to go to commute to go and come back from work and as you said sometimes we finish fairly late and yeah you arrive at home it's already midnight you just want to have a shower and if you still have power i mean yeah, enough yeah. energy actually to 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 take a shower and, and go to sleep just just sleep you don't do anything else yeah
1: and and thankfully i think today the vfx industry is is more mature and certainly we we don't ask anyone to work that late and you know in, yeah, my, of course, no, in no. my current position i i full well know and you know there there are two heads of vfx at and untold, and both of us, we're very, very, you know, w- aware of the burnout factor. Of course, and people just once you're burnt out, you don't care. You're not as productive. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you make mistakes. This. Yeah, in um, the long
0: in the long in the long run, it's it's useless. Yeah, in my opinion.
1: So, from the mental health side of it, is Im- immensely important. Mm. Um, and and. You know, a lot of things like COVID has really, really changed the way we look at. Yeah. um, Just you know, it's what was considered normal has suddenly you know
0: forced us to rethink so many things, and so many good things have come out of it. That's a good thing. Um, Could you explain, or sorry, could you go through a VFX pipeline? What's the? Do we need the VFX pipeline? What's the? What's? Is it necessary? So pipeline is uh, the
1: most, I would say, overloaded word to mm-hmm. use a computer computer science term, <laughs> uh, but you know people use pipeline in in, in many different ways. Yeah. Um, so there is pipeline for new work coming into the building. There is pipeline of. Yeah. Um, how do you actually deliver your work? Mm-hmm. Um, to what extent do you track? the information that is flowing across one department to another. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in the day, there were no pipelines, right? So 10, 10, 11 years ago, um, the experience at the mill was you're always hiring um, generalists, Mm -hmm. extremely talented people who can do the modeling, You know, do the lighting, do the look dev. If they can animate and rig, great, perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, Get the shot out. You know, I would be told, you own this shot. You have to do everything in it. uh, Except maybe comp and except maybe animation. (laughs) So, um, and it felt great, right? Of course. When the shot went on screen, you had a, a greater sense of ownership. Of course. You did the shot. To a large well, yeah I mean to 80, a large extent. 80, maybe seventy
0: eighty yeah. percent of it so it's uh, yeah.
1: you'd you'd be lucky if you know like if you got to that extent um, today uh because so many things are pipeline oh, yeah. and 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 maybe fragmented is the wrong word it it is the wrong word, but pipeline is the pipeline of today. Well, actually, let me go back to that yeah. mill example. Mm. The issue with that was it wasn't scalable. Um, so okay. you, how many of these uber generalists are you going to find, mm. right? Um, 11 years ago, there were about 12, 13 of them. Mm. And, and to find the 14th was really, really hard. Okay. Um, when I left the mill to go to MPC Film. I was in a room full of 60 people and they were all doing one thing, which was lighting. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of opens your eyes to a different way of working where somebody upstream is doing look dev and and giving to like one individual might be look devving something that will go to 60 people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe 60 is too large a number, but say let's say it goes to like 20 people Mm -hmm. and they're lighting shots and you suddenly find that the people who are lighting shots are lighting it to the same extent or to the same level as the generalists were. And then you kind of think about okay, maybe why is that? Now part of it is pipeline. Mm-hmm. That they're, they don't have to figure out as many things as the generalist. There is consistency in the way information is flowing mm-hmm. to all of these 20 people. So one is confused, they can ask the other one. The workflows are very consistent. So if the workflows are consistent, you can then automate them. Mm-hmm. And then you can bring efficiencies to them. Um, if you have to say, you know, publish a daily mm-hmm. of your of your um of your shot, mm-hmm. you don't have to do it by hand. There are two processes chained together. As soon as your render finishes, it goes to Shotgun or ShotGrid. Um, that's where pipeline comes in. Mm-hmm. And it brings, like, a, a good pipeline is there to help you do those things that you were doing manually before. It's just chaining together the steps that could be very easily automated. So you don't have to load your render by yeah, hand. and it's hit more published. efficient. Yeah. That's a good pipeline. Where... For me, pipeline becomes difficult to handle is when it becomes too complicated. Where like you don't know what's happening five levels upstream from you and you're trying to debug a problem and you don't even know where it's coming from. Um, and lucky for you, if you know how to go back and traverse your way. Yeah, exactly. And if you can open a scene or whatever... Uh, software was used to publish um, example was, or is like when you introduce a new piece of software yeah. in a different department mm-hmm. and you don't know how to use it so if all your cameras now come out of Unreal because that's where they do all your, um, your previous work yeah, yeah. and one of the cameras has a problem and you're in shot lighting and you're using Katana yeah. <laughs> what do you do? I don't know how to open Unreal. I don't even know how to publish from... It. So that's where, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. it becomes tricky. Mm. Um, when fragmentation comes in,
0: that's when pipelines become hard to understand. Yeah, yeah. What bothers me the most is sometimes you feel like it's useless to have a pipeline because of yeah, you're spending more time solving or debugging uh, the way how pub- we publish things Rather than, yeah. And yeah, sometimes you spend more time publishing or dealing with the pipeline rather than working in shots or. Yeah. Or yeah. This is, yeah, it's a deal breaker actually.
1: How do I get my data as an effects artist to a lighter who will then light it? Yeah. How, uh, how is my um, um, velocity attribute going yeah. to be read in the renderer? Will it actually be read? what shaders are they going to use to pull my data? Because then you end up in this conversation where you say, I've given you the data, and the, the next person will say, no, you haven't. Yeah, it's so, endless. I mean, yeah. for
0: instance, in water, what I'd like to use sometimes is I, I will use the velocity to drive the transparency in shadow in shader time. So, I know that I can do that in since Maya time, I, I do that. So, I take the velocity and, and yeah, I try to uh, to apply the velocity to the to the t- transparency in shadow, mm-hmm. so i do that and since i'm using uh, even i think softy mesh, yeah back on the time when with ice and then maya then yeah houdini so it's difficult sometimes to i know it's difficult for someone who never heard of this before yeah. which means yeah driving the transparency yeah. with the velocity so for me the best way to do this or to explain is to do a demo you do a demo and you try to explain as much as possible because you you know it's not their fault if they don't know what you're doing. So you explore the attribute and you explain as much as possible how it works so they can mimic or at least come up with a solution from in, in a different software that they're using in lighting. But it's your fault if you're doing it. in my opinion, it's my fault if I can't transmit or transfer the right information to the next department because they're gonna get stuck and they won't use you they won't be able to use it, as simple as that. Uh, yeah, again, communication is key, especially in these uh, conditions, because uh, yeah, it, again, pipeline, if it doesn't help you to uh, get your work down the stream and pass it to other departments, then for me, it's useless, so better to, to use it properly.
1: Yeah, and, and that's an excellent example, because if, say you're generating a, a type of data that the pipeline doesn't natively support, Yeah. Then you have to ask for a feature request and people who are writing those tools might be busy um, on other projects. Then you have to come back and say, Okay, I can't get any pipeline support, so I have to find another way to send this data across. Mm. And right there what you know, what inside say Houdini is yeah. is a straight pump into a shader hit render. Mm-hmm. You have to take that Something that could be maybe a vector attribute or maybe a matrix. At tr- I, I don't know. I'm just coming yeah, up with yeah, examples. It doesn't matter, yeah. And then you have to come yeah. up with a different visual representation of it uh, as a color attribute or. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So. We, we, al- we always have to come up yeah. with the workarounds. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, because as you well said, sometimes when you create something on you, something is that, that is new to the pipeline, most of the time you will have to find, because they, will be, they won't be. will be able to fix it for this show, most probably they will fix it for the, if you are lucky, for the upcoming shows, or uh-huh. film or whatever, project. And uh, yeah, so you have to find a workaround to a solution that you think that might work for the next department, but so yeah, you have to work yeah. again until, yeah, which makes sense for my opinion, because as you said, I mean... It's not like a, we're not pushing buttons here people are already working things that are way more important than what you are doing so they're not necessarily available to do it straight away so it might take some time yeah
1: yeah absolutely
0: uh, do you do aftermath talks after each project in order to avoid the same mistakes in the future in future projects or in the future <laughs>
1: aftermath uh, means uh, something really bad happened on, on every project. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> sometimes people call them post-mortems, but even, I think even that's... Uh,
0: I like call it <laughs> Aftermath because it's related to Dr. Dre uh, album. I mean, one of the uh, hip-hop albums. So that's why <laughs> right. Aftermath it's closer to... Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: after all the dust had settled, uh, whoever was left standing Ex- with... So. <laughs> if any. <laughs> yeah. Um, we... So we, we where I currently work, we we always encourage. You know, if if something goes well, we should discuss what went well. If something went wrong, we should discuss what went wrong, how it went wrong, and what could we do to um, to make it better. Do we do it after every project? No. Should we? Absolutely. Quite. You know, we should make the time. Because you're capturing it's about capturing all the good stuff that happened and all the stuff that you could improve if you don't capture that, then you don't improve mm. you are you know you you're losing out on hey we we found this really nice way to do x, y, and z, yeah, or somebody was really, really burning the midnight oil and no one was there to ask if that individual's okay or those people are okay yeah um and then it's a you know you end up losing them you end up losing valuable colleagues who uh might be burnt out may may want to come back or or may not want to come back um it's it's just important to know what's happening in the business um you know, I, that's not quite a direct answer to your question. No, but I see what you mean. It, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's sometimes there's just no time, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like we've done the project during the project, we haven't had any discussion on what's working well or not. We actually have discussions all the time throughout the project. And I think that's one of the that's one of the key things here is to have that constant dialogue, uh, that level of communication throughout. That you, if you're you know, if you, if, you're, if you need something that will save a lot of people's time, you flag that early. If something's gone wrong, you know, sometimes even just a conversation that I know you're struggling and it's a struggle right now, even that conversation uh, is supportive because you might not be able to address it immediately. Mm-hmm. But it's been recognized, it's been noted, and it will be addressed
0: and then you have to show it being addressed. Uh, what has been your overall experience in the industry and across the boards, what uh, would you like our listeners uh, to keep in mind?
1: Uh, listeners come from a very broad spectrum, so <laughs> I, I don't know if I can if I can say something that will be applicable across the board. Uh, my experience of the industry I'm thankful that it exists that I have an opportunity to do something that I'm interested in if this industry didn't exist I don't I really don't know what I would be doing um, so yeah i'm I'm just grateful you know that that I can. That there is just not me. That there, a the industry exists. B there is room for so many of us. Um, it, it, it's it's just a, just an amazing experience to be to be able to contribute, um, to be able to follow the work of um, so many other talented people, to mm. be inspired by them. Because when you're stuck, you just all you have to do is just look at the work of a colleague. And that alone is a very inspiring conversation like you know y so many different things happening um it the the one thing that you know it kind of goes back to the comment earlier was remain interested, remain curious mm-hmm. and and like I was just saying, you know if there there are times when I have certainly found that, okay, I've done this, I'm now bored, what do I do? And I don't always find the answer immediately. Sometimes it takes me years to find mm. the next thing that I'm interested in. But the one lesson that I have learned is, even in those periods where I i don't know what I'm interested in, I'm still I force myself to go and read something, go and do something. And lucky for me, or luckily for me, I've always found an application of what I've learned in those times. Mm-hmm. And an application in what I do at work. Um, just so many examples of that. Um, you know, There was a time when I was just reading on how light scatters at you know as it enters the earth's atmosphere mm-hmm. and just kept thinking it's cool it's very academic I'll never use it and I was so wrong that you know three <laughs> years later I was this whole new world opened up to me because all, all because I had read that one thing in a time when I just didn't know what to do because you know you, you I've done the the ocean stuff, and mm. I've done the modeling, and I've done the lighting, and what you know, just just keep reading, keep looking at what other stuff is out there. It all connects. It mm. all connects. Whether it may not connect today, it might connect tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Go with the hope that it will connect,
0: and it will. Amazing. Uh, anything you wanna add before we finish? Thank you for having me uh, it,
1: it, it's you know I've, I've never done anything like this so um, uh, but yeah thanks thanks for calling me It's great to be able to discuss um, you know just learn about yourself the work you're doing over here and um, and just have that this conversation
0: thank you Aman I'm really grateful that I enjoyed talking with you I learned a lot as well hopefully our audience uh, will learn as much as i did uh, uh, thank you very very much and uh, yeah hope to see you soon everyone bye bye thank you and it's a wrap thank you very much yeah. thank you man <laughs> thank you <laughs>